Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. I want to welcome to my winning pitch podcast, Mike, more well known as C-Rock, because I can't pronounce his last name. Mike, you're going to have to do that for us right now. Well, first of all, don't ever say you can't. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Damn so, it. So, so give it a shot. Let's try it. Shiraco. There you go. You got it. See, it's, you said you can't, so you lied to yourself. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I lied to you, and I didn't get away with it. That was fine. That's kind of like the old Volkswagen uh, Scirocco's. Yeah, the pronunciation similar. Yeah, but uh, spelled a little different. That's all. All right. So, what I'd like you to do is open up this podcast with introducing to the audience who you are and why you have the experience to explain to people what they should do and and tell us a little about your successes and just go from there. And we've got a pretty wide audience because we're going out to the planet. I'm a fighter that has been given up on several times and I keep fighting. So first of all, I have a motto that I use to turn all setbacks, letdowns, negativity into rocket fuel for your fuel. The reason I say that, Tom, is because regular fuel will not get you into orbit. And orbit gets us away from gravity gravitational pull, gravity being economies, negative people, setbacks. None of us want any of that. All of us want an awesome life without pull. And that pull makes you stronger. However, we should be shooting into orbit and rocket fuel gets you there, not regular fuel. So I'm a fighter. I'm a people builder at heart. It all stems from the fact that being given up on, and I look back to when I was 11 and, you know, I came from a broken home. I don't remember my family, my parents together. It was normal to me to have the custody battles and the child support conflicts, step parents, all that stuff. Well, when I was 11, I'd lived with my dad for three years. And I had decided that after three years of living with my dad, that it wasn't a conducive environment for happiness for a young child to grow up in and become a man in. My dad, however, was my hero. He was a hard worker. He was a mason. I always remember his hands being real rough. He worked hard and he did well for himself. And, you know, he always had this wad of $100 bills in his pocket that I looked up to him for with a rubber mm-hmm. band around it. And, you know, that stuff was something to look forward, like look to for modeling. But the environment of the relationships and the conflict and the negativity and toxicity of their relationship, among others, was just not somewhere I wanted to be. I had the option to get out of there. So I made it and had my mom file court papers to get me out of there. Now, the day I came home from school, my dad had these court papers in his hands. And he said, you know, you need to go to your room. And I did. And I sat there for five minutes, which felt like five hours. I walked on eggshells in that house, a lot of emotional and and psychological abuse going on. You know, I sat there and waited for him to come in. And he said, you know, you know what's in this envelope, don't you? And Tom, I was scared to admit that at that moment as an 11-year-old kid. And he said, says here you want to move in with your mom. And you know your mom's not that well off. They don't have it like we have it here. You sure you want to do that? And I shook my head because I remember my mom telling me, stick to your guns. They're going to try to talk you out of it. Stick to your guns. And so I said, yes, I, I want to make that decision. He said, okay. And so he takes the wad of $100 bills out, peels one off, crumples it up and throws it at me and says, here, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. 
And, you know, 11 year old kid, I thought to myself, this can't really be happening. You know, but one thing I'm a fighter, I told you, and I'm stubborn, which is a weakness and a strength for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to let you win. I'm not going to need that money. And number two, I cannot be the only one in this situation because remember, I thought this was ordinary. And so I know other people have been given up on. I'm going to show them that you can be given up on and still succeed. And I didn't know at the time how to do it. I just knew to be a role model. So that's my backstory of where I came from, how my fire was lit. What's driving me every single day is to, to prove my dad wrong. And I know it's, I don't use it as a negative or the victim situation. I use it for fuel. And then everything that comes along, I use for fuel. That's anything like that. What's your relationship with your dad now? So unfortunately, I I did rekindle a relationship after 10 years of not seeing him at all. There's some dynamics that I don't want to get into a lot of detail because I don't want to cause any conflict, but but it's not by my choice. Let's put it that way. There's other people involved in the situation that are keeping it from being. And at the end of the day, I do say that I take 100% responsibility in things. There's nothing else I could do it right now. I've reached out as much as possible, but I will say there's other people involved, but my dad has the ability as a man to reach out to me if he wants to. Got and it. so I'll just leave it at that. And, you know, I was lucky to have a stepfather that stepped in when I was 11 years old that didn't have the best money and finance understanding literacy. However, he knew how to be a man. He knew right from wrong, loved baseball and, and taught me passion. You know, he passed away about two years ago. And that's when Grant picked up for me where my stepfather, George, left off as a mentor, role model. And it, it, like the timing of it couldn't have been better. And so that's how, by the way, I got into the 10X movement with Grant. Got it. So it's it's all about timing a lot of times in life. You know, it's, there's an old, I think it's a Chinese saying about when the student is ready, the teacher arrives and and you were ready for a new mentor and and it happened for you because your perceptions were out looking for that replacement. A hundred percent, man. And And that's a very... A very good story because that's when I went to 10X Growth Con. After reading the 10X rule, I went to uh, the Miami 10X Growth Con. And Uncle G, as we call him, filled right in at that moment. And, you know, I can't stress this enough. I've always had an animal inside of me. Like I've been caged up like no one else. Would, nobody could understand me, the energy, the, the passion that I have. And I always felt bad about it. I thought it was something wrong with me. And what Grant had allowed me to do was unleash that and, you know, give me validation Mm-hmm. to act like that. Now, by the way, you hear it banging in the background. I have a podcast studio and an office being built for myself, but I could say, you know what, Tom, I'm sorry. I have this stuff going on, the sound in the background, but you know what? I wanted to use this as a point because I don't stop for anyone or anything when I want to do something. And I wanted to be on Tom Austin's podcast. So guys, if you're listening to this, there's stuff that happens in your life. You just got to continue to push through. And I just want you guys to know that. So when that hammer, you hear that hammering going on, I told those guys, don't hit that nail once. You hit that son of a bitch until it goes all the way in. That's the mic I know. Absolutely. So do you attribute all of your success in life to your stepdad or all of your success in your life to your desire to prove your dad wrong? There's an ingredient factor. Anything that you make in life, if you're in the kitchen cooking a cake, baking a cake, there's ingredients that go on. I firmly believe that there's ingredients that go along with it. So no one thing is responsible for it. At the end of the day, I take responsibility for my faults and I also will 100% take responsibility for my successes for the decision to do them. Then give credit to people for helping guide it and add to it. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with taking responsibility for making decisions 
that lead to your successes. And so, but it's a combination, definitely an influence, both of them. And you know what? I have an awesome mom and I have an awesome wife. As you know, you met Jen before. Yeah, I've met her. And behind every successful man is definitely a successful. And you have some awesome kids. And my kids, of course, as well. Yes. Thank you. No problem. So tell me about going back over your life. I don't know what you, how old are you? Around 40? I'm in my 40s. Yeah, come on. Tell me. I'm I'm 43. I'm 43. All All right. So I'm 72. So I'm 30 years older than you. And I'm just using that as a number. Tell me about your single best moment on any job that you were doing, whether it was the company that you work for or whether you were working for yourself. Tell me about your single best moment and be very descriptive about it. Put, put the audience there with you. So despite many setbacks in our business and having to move platforms in the mortgage industry, we work for Nations Lending now. We have a large division under their platform. And we started off with not doing very well. We just started from scratch again after building one company to 10 million in annual revenue, we had to start from scratch and we did it. And we set big, giant, massive goals, starting with culture. And we, two years in, went from 4 million a month to 800% growth, 32 million in one month. So that moment was validation. As we were growing to that, each month was more validation to what we were doing and what we were doing was right. When we hit that 32 million number, man, it gave validation to everything that I've been putting in place with my team, my leadership team buying in, all the work that they put in. And what happened is, is that all the people that doubted what we were doing and made comments and kept adding like insults to what we were doing, trying to hold us back, it just validated and it felt really, really good. And it just also gave us confidence to take it to the next level. So you have personal experience with haters or, or naysayers or people who are trying to drag you down. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, I know that when people are saying stuff, it's their reflection of themselves. They're trying to make themselves. I understand all that. And I use that. That's my conversion to rocket fuel. But to me also, it is always the greatest part of the cycle of when people put you down, say, what are you doing? You're working too hard. And then they start to say, wait a minute. They start to get interested. Like, what is he doing? And then after that, they want to engage with you and work with you and ask you questions. Can you help me? Can I be involved? I always enjoy that, watch that cycle and then getting to that last part of that cycle of when they validate for themselves that you are actually onto something. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you a really tough question. Go back and consider all of the same things that you used as a platform to tell me about your single best moment. Tell me about your single worst moment in the work world. So we had a company, the first company that I mentioned, we were busting our humps. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have mentors, but we just did it with street smarts and grind and hustle. And you can only get so far with that. And I didn't really understand the culture aspect of it enough to really hold the leadership of the company I was working for accountable. Again, I take that responsibility for that. So we made some money. We made a lot of money, but at the end of the day, it crumbled because when people were faced with decisions, they always chose themselves over the team because the culture wasn't there. When that happened and I realized I got comfortable and complacent and then we had money stolen, you know, we lost close to over $1.1 million. That hurts. And then when people are relying on you and you, your comfortable, you know, complacency and level of comfort that's creeped in allowed that to happen. A lot of people looking out from the outside actually wouldn't say it was my fault. Like 99% of people would say, yeah, but I know that I could have done something different. And so 
when that happened and 22 employees were looking at me like, now what? <laughs> and I stressed out for months and I broke down in my kitchen in front of my wife, lost 20 pounds over like a, a month and a half, just stressed out of my mind, not realizing that one was lacking hope, lacking a mentor, lacking confidence in the fact that I know what I'm doing and I can build it again and I have the ability to do things. And that's when Grant came in. Now, so, where are we in time where you got first met Grant? At the, was it at the uh, Miami Growth Cut? Yeah, that literally was only a few years ago when that happened. And so... Uh, so you were there when he jumped out of the airplane and skydived into the top of the stadium. Yes, exactly. How much, and, how far in front of that was, you didn't just show up there one day. You had to had to kind of cognitively been aware of him. What made you sign up for a growth con? No, I read the book and I started following him on YouTube and all that, like a lot of people do. And then I stepped into, I was in Miami and I saw the billboards and I said, man, it's a guy that I read the book about. And then uh, I came home with my wife that trip. And then when I got home, I was meeting with a realtor and I had coffee with this realtor. And I, first time I ever met this guy and he's like, hey, we're going down to Grant Cardone's 10X Growth Conference. And I'm like, really? I want to go to that. He's like, you should. I said, nah, I just got back from Miami. I can't go. I have to explain that to Jen. I mean, like, that's not going to work. And he's like, man, you need to go to this. You could just, you could just room up with us. There's two other guys that are going. It's, it's going to be huge. I read the 10X rule, remember? 10X rule hit me hard. It, it, like he, he speaks to me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I didn't have a ticket. I had no nothing. And it was only four days away. And I live in Maryland. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. So I called my wife and said, hey, I'm going back to Miami, 10X Growth Conference. And Jen knows how I am. So she was just like, whatever. Okay. Just get out of here. <laughs> Probably. It's, right nice, it's <laughs> nice to have a queen in your life. And I should presume she's standing right next to you because I see you looking. Yeah, she's over here. And I. And I'm like, yeah, all right, so then I just figured it out. So I'm already thinking about stuff that Grant has taught, commit first, figure the rest out later. Actually, probably lived that life already, didn't really, wasn't aware of it. I've always been really spontaneous. And so I went to it and then I bought a VIP ticket. I sat down there and just was amazed. And I was like, why haven't I been involved with this stuff like way before this? Then I started thinking to myself, now I need to cram as much as possible in a short amount of time as possible because I wasted 20 some years of my life and I only have this much time left on this planet to make a difference. And so hey, let me stop you right there. Because you called me out at the beginning, I'm going to call you out. You didn't waste it. You didn't waste it. You were just drilling. You were making mistakes and learning from it and moving forward. So there you go. No, I, I agree 100% with you. And, but I just, that's, I'm just telling you how I felt at that moment. Yeah, I understand. Like, oh, but, but see, even though you're right there, and I agree with you, me feeling that and thinking that way sparked a movement, yeah. right? It sparked I, I got it. this. And so in one way, it's the right thing. But at the end of the day, if something that, that I used as fuel, rocket fuel, then, I'll, you know. It works, right? Right, right. Yeah. If, if for anything that's, for any technology that we develop for ourselves, the ultimate test is it workable. It's not whether it's right or wrong. Does it produce the result that you're looking for? And I'm thinking about something that you said about your experience with reading 10X and when I remember reading 10X, that was the very first book that I read of Grant. And I, I will admit that I'm too lazy to read, so I listened to it on Audible, which I think is a benefit because I, if you get connected to Grant's charisma and his voice and, and the little stuff that he added in in the Audible thing, there's a whole lot more in the Audible version of the book than just reading it. So I'm just going to make that point. But In Cardo New, there's the 10X Super Life too, where he's sitting at the desk talking about it too. I, I, yeah. I've read the book. I've listened to those as well. 
over and over again while I'm doing jogging or running or whatever the case is. And by the way, I got to say this, Tom. So when I buy something as an individual in, a, in my business, right? If I'm working with Cardone you, I told the sales guys, guys, my job is to make you guys look good. I tell my team, we're making these guys look good. We buy this purchase. Now we got to be a case study. So now when I'm doing the podcast and I'm doing my movement and I'm doing my influencing and my doing my coaching, all that stuff, I also use this as fuel. I got to make Grant look good. It, I got to be a case study. There's a lot of people that heard Grant and are inspired by him and use his products. I want to be the best. And then so when he looks, he's like, holy cow, like that dude right there got my stuff and I'm proud of that. That's what I'm going for every single day when I'm going for these things. I completely got it. And for those of us who have had the opportunity to be close with Grant, he always says, if you want to do something nice for him, be successful, be an example of the 10X life, which leads right into the next question I ask you. You became a Grant Cardone licensee. Why? Access was number one. Access, I think that was the number one thing. And then number two, I, I love the content. I love to use it. And I didn't want to be in trouble for using it ever, even though I wasn't monetizing it. I just didn't want to have that issue. So I was like, that's the other thing. Number the other one I saw Richie was involved and to have access to Richie two to three hours a week for that investment was like a no brainer to me. And I committed to being on the calls, Richie, as much as possible. Like hopefully, if not every call, miss one here, but like once a month, but being accountable and holding to that. Just remember that we're on, on live going out across the planet. And when you say Richie, a lot of people may not know who Richie is. So explain to them who Richie Dolan is. So Richie Dolan is head of global head of Cardone licensing and also has a great background of working with some really famous people, uh, performance coach for, you know, LeBron, the Lakers, the Heat. He's got two NBA championship rings, also in finance, the finance background as well. But, you know, just a genuine good guy. And, you know, I want to be around those types of people. And so I wanted access to that and then also to develop relationships with those types of people, not just all about me, but let let me see what I can do to help them. And that's the only way to do that is to be involved and entrenched in it. And, you know, it, it pays off, man. It's not even, you know, I could sell products and sell coaching and all that with the content, but being involved with the community and being around the people, the right people, sometimes you got to pay to do that money and time. It's access. It's proximity. I completely understand it. Now, when I first got connected to Grant, I started reading his stuff. I was thinking I was realizing that kind of naturally I was doing some of the things that he talked about. And uh, just that was part of it. Of course, I'm 30 years older than you, so I had a head start. So I have more experience behind me. Some of it's good and a lot of it's bad, but I'm still alive and I'm still kicking. But what keeps me driving forward is that I've realized that working keeps me alive. It keeps me young. I get up, I work seven days a week. And people say, why do you do that? You know, take some time off. No, I watched my grandfather at 65 get retired from, uh, he worked for Spreckle Sugar, I think. It was a mandatory retirement. And about two years later, he was almost dead. So he went back to work for them as an external consultant and worked until he was almost 90. And so I've never forgotten that picture of if you stop working, you're going to die. So, and, and it works for me. It keeps me, it's why I get up at four o'clock every morning. Purpose, and, right? And go, and go out and, and do my walk and record my videos and stuff like that. It's just, it's, what else is there to do? You need purpose, right? You need challenges. Like, well, I talk about going to orbit where you're free from gravity. I would rather, here's what I want to do. 
I want to create my challenges and create my problems rather than, and when I talk about gravity is not just, gravity is not the created problems that you give yourself, the good ones. It's the bad stuff, right? So when you go to orbit, you still want challenges and purpose and all that, but I want to be the one to determine that. I want to create that. And so the reason you don't want to work, you want to keep working is because you need purpose and purpose leads to survival, right? Yep. So what would be, if you could go back to middle of March, I think it was March 20th or 21st, where the government went crazy and told us all we had to stay home, which when we were a little kid, we would have thought that was cool because then we didn't have to go to school. And as adults, we knew that was a very good idea. What would be your advice to people if you could go back to the beginning of this economic circumcision? So I was involved in 2008 when the crash happened. I was involved in the mortgage business then. So one thing I did then is I watched everybody run around like chicken with their head cut off. I observed and noted and journaled everything that was going on from politicians to news to my industry to, you know, just everything I watched and I was really observant from it. So I knew that everything I go through is a training session for my future. And when I did that, I was prepared to understand that at some point in the future, I'm going to run into something similar to this. So when COVID happened, I'm like, okay, this is it. This is something that's going to be like this. And I sat and watched Grant. I sat and watched a bunch of people panic. And I understand the pressure that they may be under. But you know what I said to myself? You know what? We're going to make this the reason we're successful. Like we're going to figure out, like, I don't care what we got to do. So first thing I did, I sat with my team in our sales meeting. And I said, guys, here's the thing. I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm not trying to be negative. It could be bad. So what that means is, let's assume it's going to be bad. We need to change up how we do business. What we've done in the past is not going to work going forward. So we're going to have to work harder, longer hours, smarter. We're going to have to figure something out. And when we come out of this other side, this is the reason that we're going to be successful, not the reason we're not going to be successful. And that mindset is what will make the difference. And so this is before Brandon and all them put out these, the emergency response and all that. I just went with mindset and attitude and understand that we're not going to use this as an excuse. Get that out of your head right now. This is not going to happen. And so thinking right there with that proactive stance, I think that made all the difference because we had three record-breaking months during COVID. Now, some people say, well, yeah, the rates dropped. Uh, Yeah, the rates dropped, but you know what? We could have made that as an excuse and still not done it. We could have not worked, scared to death, whatever the case is. And so, you know, I think that that's the approach that I took and I think that's what worked. And my team, credit to them, they bought in. So have you always been this fiery? Now, I know you said you were a fighter. What did you learn as an athlete? Because I'm fairly certain that you told me that you were a baseball player also. I played baseball, wrestled, and I played college football. And the thing about it is I'm five, six, and three quarters. Not You can't tell by that if you've never met me. That's an person. important three quarters, isn't it? Five, six, and three quarters. But I am 210 pounds. I'm solid. So, But I've always been the little guy, and I've always had to hustle and work hard and, and use my mind and attitude to overcome some of my shortcomings in athletic ability. So with that coupled with George, my stepdad, I can tell you this, he was a very quiet person. And if you get him in a room and then, but the only thing is, is if you talked about the Phillies, if you talked about baseball, hunting, fishing, anything like that, all of a sudden, like it was like a light switch. He would jump off the couch and get in your face and talk real loud and passion. Now I was around that from 11 to he passed away right before growth con. And I can tell you, Tom, I believe in energy. I believe in spirit. I believe in souls. And when he passed away, my brother and I have been talking about this. Not shortly thereafter, 
that passion came into me. So I've always been fiery, but I've been now aware of it, of some extra energy or power that I have now from now. A lot of people hear this stuff and they're like, Oh man, he's talking hocus pocus. I don't really care what people think. So I'm just telling you what I experienced. And if people want to take it, take it. I encourage you to take it and don't miss out on opportunities to look for this kind of stuff. But when he passed and it came into me, I'm like, holy cow, this is like, this is something that if I harness this, it'll take me to orbit. And it's going to put me in a situation where I can learn from Grant, learn from other people, but also exceed what other people do. And awesome. so that, that passion, especially when we're doing Zoom through COVID, you need to pump up the energy as you're on these calls because all this stuff goes through these long wires and satellites, and then some of the energy gets lost. So Absolutely. you need to pump up the volume on these anyway. So I, I focus on that as well. Yep. Treat it like electricity. Now, I didn't know you before then, so you've always been a very passionate guy to me. And you're telling me, I think what you said was around the time that you went to GrowthCon the first time was the same time that you connected to some rocket fuel or extra energy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I've always had it, uh, you know, I've always, but not like it is now. I think when you become aware of something, so here's the thing. I think street smarts is the first thing people should, should use. Because street smarts is where the action is, the hustle is. But when you have streets and knowledge, there's no action. Just knowledge, there's no action, right? That's kind of so, like going to college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so my thing is I had street smarts and then I hit a ceiling. And when I hit that ceiling, I was like, damn, I can't get past this one this spot. That's when knowledge had to kick in. I needed knowledge at that moment to break through the next level. And so I think at that moment, I started getting the knowledge that coupled up with that passion from George. And Grant with the knowledge, and I opened up and I became a sponge. I'm reading books. You know, the Dianetics books, I was one of the fastest people to get through that book. And of course, because of, at first, I'm going to tell you the truth here. At first, I'm like, holy cow, how am I going to read this thing? You know, it's just like the Bible. Like you you read the Bible and you try to read the King James Version of the Bible. You're like, you're you're not going to, until you understand the words you're reading. So then I started realizing how to study, realizing, look definitions up. And then every chapter that I got through, I speed up. Before I know it, I was flying through the chapters. But knowledge is, has been so important to me now, coupled up with the action and the awareness of that passion. Awesome. I'm so proud of you. So tell me a little bit about how your people who are looking at this podcast can't see behind you where it says, I think it says, what are you made of the Waymo thing? Explain to you how, there you go. Get your fat head out of the way. There you go. Good job. There you go. There's your brand, brother. So tell people how you, what, where you concepted it, how you got it off the ground, what you do with it typically, what kind of guests do you have, and what is your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? So it started by the fact that when I started sharing my story with people, they were triggered by it. And I noticed the feedback that I was getting was, it was inspiring to people. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is just an ordinary story to me. I don't, Nobody cares about this. And I'm embarrassed that that I I was around so many broken people growing up. And so embarrassed, not thinking it was that big a deal, it was ordinary. And I also, the most important thing was I underestimated the power to inspire millions of people with your story. And so when I figured that part out too, I'm like, damn, I got to get this out. And also wanted to figure out how can I get known globally, not just in my local market, but globally. Let's aim global, man. And so the podcast came up and what are you made of is a phrase I talk to myself a lot. It's a phrase I use all the time. Come on, man. What are you made of? I'm built for this. I got this. I use it to level up and get through tough times. And so I said, that goes along with telling your story. 
hmm, let me try this. So I told my story on a few episodes and then I just started bringing guests on and I started thinking to myself, why don't I just start asking whoever I want to come on instead of being shy and just taking just, just anyone? And people started saying yes. I was like, okay, this works. This is easy. It's like hitting a slot machine the first couple of times you, you spin it. And so I was like, okay. So then I started having people on like Richie, Brandon, Jared, Grant came on, Elena came on. And also, you know, people start seeing people that come on your show and they're like, well, I want to be on that show. And then I start getting people reaching out to me, like Dana Cavalea, the New York, New York Yankees strength and conditioning coach from the 2009 World Series team reached out to me. And he had a book and he was getting into coaching and all that. And he reached out and wanted to be on the show. And, uh, you know, it's awesome, the connections that came from it. But uh, I forget what your question was, I guess, but that's how it got started. Oh, you, you, you were answering it. That's why I was sitting here listening to you because I wanted the audience to hear your story. So I think what you said in the beginning, you just did a podcast where it was just you. Yeah. So I did four or five episodes of monologue style. And then I had planned on after that people getting tired of hearing from me. So I would bring some other people on to share their stories and I could ask questions and then build up a library of knowledge. And, you know, then, you know, you, I did 50 some episodes and packed them into the can and then I got backed up and I was releasing one a week. Then I went to two a week. And then I said to myself, I'm getting kind of bored. I, by the way, I get bored really easily. So I need to build, create, or change something. Those are the three things that keep me going. And so I'm thinking to myself, all right, this podcast is cool and everything, nice background and everything, but I'm sitting in my dining room during COVID. I need to build a podcast studio in an office for myself. So I started building that just recently, last few weeks. And also I said, how can I take this another step up? So now I'm going to try to get some live people in and I'm going to try to make it like higher production quality just to keep myself interested in it and leveling up and attract, you know, even bigger, bigger names. Absolutely. If you're not interested, no one else is going to be interested in you. It it just, it's out of, you know, that's right out of the Cardone uh, sales stuff. You know, you're interested, interesting. You've got to, there's two sides to that equation and, you can't sit, just sit here and talk and go into monotone. That's kind of like being in school, which I hated. And, uh, you know, it, I don't like to be taught that way. To me, it was always interactive. Now, I had an advantage whenever I was in school because my last name starts with A. I always got to sit in the front. And I had a tendency. I learned how easy it was to dominate the conversations. And then as I became, as I went through my career and in my 20s, I was a district manager for Kmart. And we they'd bring half of the country together for these big meetings. And I always made a big deal that we'd go out and have a little dinner and then we'd all go to the bar, everybody, including the regional managers. And I start about 7.30, I'd start looking at my watch and about eight o'clock I said, I got to go, I got to go to sleep. And I just thought of doing that. Now I was doing that as a PR move. Strictly that was my idea. And then I realized the real benefit of it. These guys all were coming in. I was in Los Angeles area at the time, all coming in from out of town. So they were out of town, which means they were disconnected from their families, which means that their ethics kind of went down and they all wanted to go out and run around and play. Well, I learned the very first morning after I did that, because if I went to bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, it was real easy to get up early. And I, was, I, I wasn't numb, but I absolutely dominated the meetings. Of all these, There'd be 40 guys who were all my peers Okay. And they're all sitting there hungover and I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. And I never stopped doing that. And it, that's why it was really for me to decide to get up, at, start getting up at four o'clock in the morning at my age. 
because it's the same thing. It's absolutely the same thing. If you're up after, as Grant says, after nine o'clock, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I got a friend named James Black. He's one of the first African-American PGA players. And in talking to him, that's one of the things he used to do when he's playing golf back in the day and or money tournaments, he would go out and he knew the other players would drink, would chase the women called it the something buzz. I'm not going to leave the other word out, but called it something buzz. And he knew about that. So he would make sure that he would take advantage and get every possible, you know, advantage possible. So he would make sure, celebrate them going out. Hey man, you're going out. You got to stay out. Yeah. And then, and then he would go to bed and, and win the, the golf tournament. And so, yeah, I, I, <laughs> not always the- looking for an edge. And, and yep. that just, that kind of came to me naturally, probably because I'm one of eight kids and, and I'm the number two oldest. So, but there's always this little world of chaos going around you, but you're always in competition for seconds at the dinner table or uh, who could get out of the house first or who can get away with the most or, you know, whatever, whatever I decided was I wanted to compete on that day. I had a natural built in. I don't want to really say enemy because I'm pretty fond of my brothers and sisters. At least I was at that way age anyway. And, you know, I, I just learned from, I was always looking for an edge to do that. And, you know, I suspect that you do the same thing. Yeah, I do. But I'm always looking to lift people up as well. Like I look at it differently. Um, Look, I want to win, but I always, I write down on my goals every day. I want to take my homies with me because when you get something, it's no fun by yourself. So I've won before. And when I tell, here's something I deal with right now. Anything that good happens in my life, if I tell people about it, I don't get the reaction that I expect. I don't know if you, and then, you know, I'm just making, you know, I agree. becoming aware of this right now, this, this past week, like, you know, if something good happens, I'm tending to keep it to myself a lot because I don't want to be disappointed with the reaction that I get. And then on one hand and the other hand, I'm like, you know what, let me do it anyway and know what's going to come from it. Don't expect a certain reaction, high expectations of what's going to happen and just roll with it anyway. And I don't know the answer to that to what you're supposed to do there, but I just know that I want to bring people with me with success and achieving things because every time I do it by myself, it doesn't feel as good. Well, I saw a thing with Grant, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning, and he was talking about the success that he had in his life early on in his career once he started to take off. And he knew that something was missing and he realized that he was alone. He didn't have Elena, he didn't have the kids. And that when his career really started to take off was when he created a family. And the the story that he was telling about that was that beings are not designed to work in a vacuum. They're not designed to work for yourself. I remember L. Ron Hubbard, who wrote Dynetics, telling a story about he wanted to test to see if a being could go survive on their own. And he went off, I think it was in South Africa at the time. And he realized that, you know, life, it's not a lot of fun if you're by yourself. It's kind of like being in solitary confinement. Doing things as a group has benefits to it. You kind of trade energies or share energies, which create more energies. Or it's like the Clydesdale story that I think the number, I don't remember what the exact number was, but one of them could pull 800 pounds. pounds. When you put 200, yeah. two of them together, it's not 1,200, it's 3,000 or whatever it is. But 4X, 4X yeah, when you there, add there, two together. Yeah. There's a real synergy and expansion of power. And once you understand that, it makes it easier to understand why 
you need to grow your businesses. And, and I'm, I'm going to give you some statistics that I got from Brandon Dawson. There's 31.3 million businesses in the United States right now. 25 million of them have one employee. There's something wrong with that. You know, there's a fundamental thing missing in the training or the concept or their concept of money or concept of expansion. I've never, ever thought of doing anything my, my own. And I've always critically said, well, I'm just lazy. I don't want to do it myself. But that's not really true. I mean, I'm not, I would never play golf because it's just me and the ball or me and the course. I like team sports. Why? It's just a lot more fun. You got guys to hang out with and bullshit with and, and, you know, do things that you should be doing and also do a little few things that you shouldn't be doing. But I grew up in a large family, so I was kind of used to that. Yeah. And, you know, I always, I always thought I was lazy. But, you know, here I am 72 years old and I still work seven days a week. Yeah. I, so, speaking of golf, I'm actually a, uh, I got down to a three handicap before COVID. I like golf, but, you know, I, I, I love the team sport too, man. I, I, I don't know. The thing about golf is, is that you're by yourself when you're playing your ball, you're playing your own ball. But if you're around the other guys and you're gambling and messing around and stuff, that's, that's the fun part yep. about it. I don't like playing golf by myself. It's, that doesn't appeal to me. The analogy I was trying to just was the group thing. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I remember the first couple times I ever played golf, and I'm really not an athlete, and I'm not into sweating very hard or doing anything. But I used to get up at I think five o'clock in the morning, and I lived really close to a, a local park that had a nine-hole golf course in it. And, I, and, I, and the reason I went out early is because I didn't have to pay any green fees. I'll be honest about it. And I would go out and walk the course and play in the dew-covered grass and stuff like that. And I didn't get any better because I didn't have anybody to teach me anything. Yeah. But after doing it a little while, a bunch of other people started showing up at the same time and telling me, well, if you can do this, can I join you? Hell yes. And, you know, there was a guy named, I think his name was Joey Lopes, who had been a professional boxer and was very well known in the Sacramento, California area, which is where I was. And, you know, it brought new people into my life and new friends and, you know, it's kind of nice to get to know somebody who's got some fame for a good thing. And they like talking about their lives. And I like asking questions and getting data. So, you know, to that degree, I have fond memories of golf, but I'm not, I know I'm not very mm -hmm. good at it. Yeah, I've met some great people from golf. Just the fact that you go out and get in a golf cart with someone for three, four hours and strangers. And, and it's kind of like, to me, it was like a podcast. I would always ask them details about their life, what their story is. And you know, it was, it was cool. I enjoyed it. Well, cool. So what's in store for you next? So if you see this hat, for those of you watching, this is our new logo. C-Rock is a brand that we're creating and, and doing a lot of things off of. So people building is a company that started to start helping working with people and companies to build their people, not just on sales like Cardone University that we use, but leadership, communication, emotional response, really helping people understand how the, to identify the weaknesses that they have and then build upon them and teaching companies how important that is for their business, for their foundation and their growth. But the other thing is I want to start, this is a passion of mine. I like clothing. I like wearing t-shirts like designer t-shirts, like Hugo Boss or even Under Armour activewear. And so I have this vision and this goal now that we've put out that we're going to start a clothing line, kind of a mixture between Hugo Boss and Under Armour. You know, we developed a logo to go on it. So that's like kind of this 
the C and the R for C-Rock, but has a little dude in there. And the little dude's holding up the world. And that's the little symbol that we've developed with our branding of really lifting up the world. I have no, Tom, I have no idea how to develop a clothing brand. I have no idea who to talk to yet or what to do. I just know I'm going to do it. And it's oh, going to be huge. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, I got to get it connected with Damon John. Yeah. So we just have been in this process right now of coming up with an idea and a story behind it. Clothing lines sell when there's a story behind it. And we have that part. So now we just need to figure out the rest of the logistics and, and make connections with people because I know it's going to work. So you're a living example of what Grant always says, commit first and the creativity will follow. Don't worry about the mechanics. As soon as you get an idea, just go with it. You naturally, you're a very creative being and you'll, you create solutions. And, you know, if you get lost in the mechanics, well, how am I going to do that? Too many people are going to tell me that's a dumb idea. Don't listen to them. I always used to tell my athletes because I coached high school baseball for four decades that when you're learning how to do something for the first time, you are not qualified to judge yourself. If you knew how to judge yourself, you wouldn't be in this pathway of learning. And I tell that to my employees now that we're doing role playing in the morning and they, they're flunking themselves. And I said, why are you doing that? You're self-coaching, which is a flunk. You know, you're not qualified to do that because you don't know what it really takes to do this. And all, I'm, all we're trying to do is, like you know as an athlete, is develop muscle memory to where you're not thinking about it and then doing. Because people who think about things before they do something, it's too slow. Speed yeah. is power, absolutely. And you want to get to the point that you can do things that fast. So I applaud you for the getting into the clothing, clothing line. And I look forward to when you send me a catalog. Yeah, and by the way, I, this sounds so crazy to some people. I get it. I, I don't really, again, I don't worry about what people think. But I want, I want to acknowledge them thinking this. But when I come on podcasts like this, like I want one day you to say, man, I had C-Rock on my podcast, you know? And that's what I want to aim for, that, to aspire one day, to have people that, I've, that have been so gracious to have me on their podcast. Well, like, let me get it out wow, of the way. Man. Let me get it out of the way. Guess what? I had C-Rock on my podcast. <laughs> I feel completely validated to have somebody as, as smart and intelligent and is driven and you know there you go you, it's already in writing we've already done well it. thank you thank you but I, I i'm gonna this is just getting started baby <laughs> all right so what can i do to help you man i tell you what it you, just being on this call with you i learn a lot just i pick up so much from you the little nuggets that you throw out and man just supporting me you know that's the only thing right now i could think of because uh you know, I, I just, uh, it's great to be around people like you. And when I got the chance to meet you in person, when we were in, uh, where the hell were we, Florida? Yeah, we were in Miami and had dinner with you. You know, that was an honor. I just enjoyed the, the relationship, man. Okay. Well, we have to do it again sometime. I think that, I hope that October boot camp's back on. Are you going to come to that? If it's on? I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm going back down next in about two weeks to Brandon Dawson's thing at the uh, headquarters. So, Are you doing the 10X 360? Yeah. You're going to sign up for the platform. I'm just telling well, you. Well, I have six employees coming with me. No, five employees. So six of us are going down. So I'm bringing the team down and we're going to see what's going on. So I was fortunate enough that one, well, the first 10X 360 that I did with Brandon Dawson and the lovely Natalie Workman, it was in the Northwest and they were trying to schedule it. And then Washington shut everything down. So Brandon said, to hell with it. We're going to do it at my house. And his, his warning from the government officials was, we're only allowed to have protests, 
weddings or funerals. So we had a protest wedding, funeral protest, funeral wedding. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's a tent that he put up in the driveway of his house. And, you know, there was helicopters flying around and we were always making jokes about it, but it probably wasn't a joke. You know, when you're around people like, I'm around people like you or Brandon or Grant or Richie or, you know, Buck or Natalie, especially, uh, it's, we share energies. We do that. And it, we actually don't even have to communicate by words because I know what you're going to say. I know how you mm-hmm. think. And I love your story. And, and I just, I'm, I'm accumulating stories and, and this has been a lot of fun, but I think I've taken an hour of your time and it's probably a little bit too much because you have to get back to work. Yeah, no. And I appreciate you having me though, Tom. And you know, we had some fun. I want to add one thing. I have a book coming out called Rocket Fuel at the end of this year. And if your listeners go to themikecrock.com, themikecrock.com, they can subscribe and get a copy of that when it comes out for free. And uh, I want to get that out in the hands of people so that they can benefit from it. Awesome. Anything I can do to help you, just call me. My phone number is 916-691-9192 and find out why people say, call Tom. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success, and I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. Number 10, then X-L-E-N-Z.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.